Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to this special review of Air Force One. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. And this is somewhat of an alternate universe movie review. Technically, we were supposed to be reviewing Top Gun and then Top Gun Maverick. Unfortunately, Top Gun Maverick got pushed to the end of the year, so we are going to be doing that duology of reviews later this year. Check the link to the schedule. The schedule is always up to date so you can know when these movies are coming out. The Top Gun movies are going to be releasing, uh, our reviews are going to be releasing later this year. So instead we thought, well, why not do Air Force One? It came out in 1997. It's the day after the 4th of July, so we hope you had a great Independence Day with some fireworks, with some family and friends barbecuing and having fun. We thought, what else would be better than this really fun, just kind of patriotic fantasy movie where the president fights Russian terrorists on his airplane? It's a, we'll get into it. It's, it's definitely an interesting one. But before we get too far into the review, listeners, I do want to call your attention to the description below. Uh, we do have timestamps down there if you just want to go ahead and jump straight into the review, or you could even jump straight into our rating and recommendations. That's always down there as well. Of course, we have a lot of links for you to check out, links to our letterboxed profiles where we rate and review movies we just watched throughout the week that we don't ever talk about here on silver screen guide necessarily it's just stuff we're looking at throughout the week um we also have links we're on all major podcast platforms so we have all of those links links to our official website our social media page our patreon page where we have exclusive content that's nowhere else that you definitely want to come over there and check out um some great stuff we do all kinds of stuff over there um that's more of an intimate setting where you can interact with us one-on-one -on -one where you know, we talk just like friends. Instead of you just listening here, you definitely get to interact with us more so over there. So head on over to the Patreon page. You won't want to miss out on that one. And then, of course, no matter where you're at, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a short written review. That written review really does actually boost us in the rankings. It helps other people find the podcast. It helps grow the Silver Screen Guide community. It is a great free way for you to help us out, and it only takes a couple seconds. Alan, I got to ask, have you seen Air Force One before? I have not. I've, I feel like I've always known about this movie, but I've never actually sat down to watch it. Uh, maybe it was because I'd never really cared enough to pursue it much. Um, but I, I, in recent times, I always get this one confused, Air Force One confused with Clear and Present Danger, which also stars oh, Harrison yeah. Ford. But per my understanding, they're very different movies. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Clear and Present Danger is uh, a continuation or in the same series as The Hunt for Red October. No, long answer, no, I have not seen Air Force One until this review. Yeah, that is interesting you bring that up. Harrison Ford was kind of on an action um, kick for, well, I guess for most of his career. Mm -hmm. But um, he did do the Tom Clancy series. He played Jack Ryan. Which, That's you know, right. John Krasinski is currently playing Jack Ryan now over on Amazon. So that came out in 92. And then um, that was Patriot Games. And then Clear and Present Danger came out in 94. And then this one ultimately came out in 97. Of course, The Fugitive is in there in 93 as well. So, I, I mean, right. it's like every year Harrison Ford was coming out with a movie. Yeah, this was this was like the number of years where like Harrison Ford was in a movie like every single year coming out. I was looking oh, yeah. at his filmography and it was like that the early to the, around the 90s is when like every year he had a new movie coming out and they're all kind of somewhat the same action oriented films starring Harrison Ford uh, around this time. Now we have reviewed a more docile Harrison Ford from the 90s in the 1991 film regarding Henry. That's right. Which is linked to in the description. Go ahead and check out our review of Mike Nichols regarding Henry, written by a very young J.J. Abrams, which is kind of crazy to think about. 
Mm-hmm. Now, my dad introduced me to this movie. I have seen it many times since. I have owned it on DVD. I ditched the DVD. I did get the Blu-ray a couple years back. I want to say for Christmas. It was actually a Wolfgang Peterson two-pack. It was this film and In the Line of Fire, which Ooh. had come out a couple years before. Harrison Ford was a big fan of that. That's actually what helped get him into this movie. If you're curious what the background was, what the production was like, how this film was received at the box office by critics... Alan and I talk all about that in your guide to Air Force One, which came out last Thursday. That's the first link in the description below. So if you click that, you'll get that episode. Um, You know, I hadn't really seen this streaming anywhere over the years, but as of right now, I believe it's streaming on Prime Video. Is that how you watched it, Alan? So, yes, I did watch it on Prime. Um, However, by the time this podcast comes out, I think it will probably be taken off of Prime. Because it says right now, as the day of recording, leaves Prime in 12 days. So when you're Ooh. by the time you're hearing this, it might be too late unless they put it back on at some point. Probably but, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I do remember one time um, I had my cousins over to watch this, like the and the whole family got together and, and watched this in um, my parents' theater room that we built together, me and my dad. Mm-hmm. It was so intense for uh, my uncle that he jumped and spilled his drink all over, spilled his drink everywhere. Ooh. Oh, great. <laughs> that's the, that's just a funny story I associate with that. I'm sure it was over Fourth of July weekend or one of the patriotic holiday weekends that we watched it. Mm-hmm. But I got to know, Alan, it, would this trailer get you into theaters to see this movie? I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> as of, so as of right now, uh, I'm mostly relating this movie to a movie that came out semi-recently in 2013 called Olympus Has Fallen. Um, oh. So I'm relating it to that movie a lot, even though that, of course, at this time, it would not even have come out. Um, either way, may maybe. Um, maybe would it get me in the theaters. I think I'd be more curious to see, you know, it's gonna is this gonna take place all inside the airplane or what's the deal here? So I'd be curious to see if it's an action movie taking completely in the place of an airplane. Maybe I'd be curious to have to check it out. Um, but as of right now, watching it, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'd be too interested. I'm not super into action, anyways, uh, as it as it is necessarily. So couldn't really say I would be super thrilled to go watch it necessarily. Well, it sounds like we have different reactions to the trailer then i, I get it so. you can tell <laughs> you can tell this trailer's from the 90s by the way it's edited i think it's an incredibly thrilling trailer um especially since it says it's from the director of the line of fire that would be in the line of fire i love that movie that would definitely be something to get me to perk up and pay attention to it i think mm-hmm. it's a great trailer i don't i think i've seen very few trailers that are this exciting and intense Honestly, I'm their opening weekend. I couldn't wait to see Air Force One. Also, nothing else is coming out that weekend anyway. And it's like in the middle of summer for Pete's sake. But to me, it looks very exciting, very thrilling. I'm either going to go see it with my dad. I'm going to go see it with my wife. I'd probably try and get you to come with me. It sounds like you uh, would be reluctant to, to join me at the theater that weekend. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I maybe if you in- invited me, maybe I'd go. We'll see. Most likely, I probably would end up at that point. All right, listeners. Well, if you haven't seen Air Force One and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. It did come out over 23 years ago, so you've had plenty of time to see it. But hey, there's always newbies out there that haven't seen, you know, every movie. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. I'm sure it's I know it's not on Prime anymore where Alan saw it, but the stuff rotates Maybe they're take. it's possible it could be on one of the other streaming services or it could be unavailable, mm-hmm. but it's not too hard to um, access. It is on Blu-ray, like I said. Um, it may, may also be coming out in 4K. I know In the Line of Fire just came out in 4K. So anyway, it's readily available. Go ahead and check out the film and then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. The Cold War is over, but powerful dissidents wish it to continue. General Radek, played by Jurgen Proshnow, the self-proclaimed president of Kazakhstan, is captured by a joint operation of U.S. and Russian forces. Shortly after, U.S. President James Marshall, played by Harrison Ford, 
goes off speech when he tells the world that the U.S. will no longer turn a blind eye to the atrocities committed by genocidal dictators around the world. His cabinet isn't happy he made such a bold statement, since they're not sure he can back it up. Later that night on Air Force One, a group of Russian journalists, led by Ivan Korshinov, played by Gary Oldman, hijacked the president's plane with the help of Secret Service agent-turned-traitor Agent Gibbs, played by Xander Berkeley. The Secret Service successfully get the president off the plane in a life capsule, but that won't stop the terrorists from negotiating with the vice president, played by Glenn Close, and Slippery Defense Secretary Walter Dean, played by Dean Stockwell. Their demands, release General Raddick or else a hostage will be executed every half hour. The only problem is the Russian president won't release Raddick because they can't confirm Marshall is alive. He wasn't found in the capsule. The reason being, he never entered it. He hid on Air Force One, not only to protect his staff, but also his wife Grace, played by Wendy Crewson, and 12-year-old daughter Alice, played by Liselle Matthews. When he starts stealthily taking out Russian radicals, Ivan figures he is a lone wolf Secret Service agent. Ultimately, he figures out it is Marshall, prompting him to hold the president's family hostage until Raddick is released. Marshall, not one to lay down on a fight, presses the attack on the bad guys, but Ivan threatens to throw Grace out of the plane while he jumps to safety with the last parachute. Thanks to Grace's bravery, she wriggles free from the baddie, while Marshall breaks Ivan's neck as he throws him out, yelling, Get off my plane. But they're not out of danger yet. Their engines are failing. Thankfully, a nearby Air Force plane can help. As they are ziplining to the next plane, they are rapidly losing altitude. Marshall nearly doesn't make it off the plane because Agent Gibbs reveals his true colors. Thankfully, Marshall barely makes it to safety as Gibbs crashes into the ocean along with Air Force One. The new plane now changing call signs to be the new Air Force One as the terrorists are defeated and the first family is safe as credits roll. So this week came out at kind of an interesting time in history, right? Because the Soviet Union was just dissolved a few years before this. The Cold War was ending, uh, or I guess at this point it had ended. Uh, This was um, pre-9-11, while (laughs) the Twin Towers were bombed in 93. Um, And then, of course, you had Bill... Yeah, and then, then of course, you've also got Bill Clinton as president, um, pre-scandal. Um, so it just kind of <laughs> comes out at a very interesting time in history when I was doing a little bit of research on like when this came out and like the events that happened kind of around it, because no more than a few years after this, of course, nine eleven would happen. Um, and so this is, it's kind of like a time capsule piece of film in my, mm-hmm. in my opinion, looking at when it came out, um, and then the other surrounding events that happened in history before and of course after it too yeah you're right it was coming out at kind of the perfect time because if it had just been Mm -hmm. came out a couple years later then they would have pulled it because of 9-11 and if it had come out a few years before i don't think it would have made a whole lot of sense since the since we were still locked in a cold war with the soviet union so they really did strike while the iron was hot also you bring up a good point bill clinton was um not about to be seemingly impeached <laughs> or yeah he he was not under that um threat of impeachment quite yet um people were still liking bill clinton and he was keeping his promises of cutting taxes and i mean i don't know we don't want to go into a whole history lesson with that but nevertheless it was a good time i would say for america it's seemingly the gulf war I don't know what was going on with the Gulf War at that point. Maybe it had just begun. I don't know. This movie does actually talk about Saddam Hussein is mm-hmm. mentioned, making this a semi-non-fictional story. I found found that to be very interesting. They brought up a real real world like terrorist dictatorial leader. But yeah. you're right. So it is kind of cool to see this movie come out then before 9-11, after the Cold War. I really can't think of much, much else. Um, that kind of captures this spirit of the time, the patriotic time, I should say. But it is definitely the 90s and even the early 2000s 
audiences loved thrillers. They loved action movies. They were huge. They usually performed very well at the box office. We've reviewed, um, as we've said, some of them from the 90s, even some from the 80s and early 2000s as well. So go back through the catalog, check out some of those reviews. It is definitely the time of the blockbuster also, where people are kind of hungry and thirsty for some big screen action. And Wolfgang Peterson really was the guy to do it because he already made the political thriller in the line of fire which stars Clint Eastwood as a Secret Service guy trying to protect um, the president. He was on Reagan's detail when Reagan was shot. That is a plot point of the movie. It's very interesting. Um, mm. But I think this is also something audiences were kind of, like I said, Reagan had been shot and Reagan was the two presidents before Bill Clinton. So- right. You know, audiences knew that the president wasn't necessarily untouchable and something could harm him possibly. And Wolfgang Peterson tapped into that and in the line of fire, and then he kind of takes it to the next level. What if some Russian radicals aren't ready for this, the Cold War to be done with and they mm -hmm. hijack the plane? I think that is a thrilling concept. It's a very scary concept as well. Um, and I find I found it kind of um, there's a funny line in the movie where, um, oh, OK, so when they find out that the Russians just killed the news crew and they basically like took their badges and somehow got their fingerprints or something, it's like I think yeah. it's like the vice president that says, please tell me it's not that easy. And it's just kind yeah. of straight up calling it out that it's like, how is it that easy? And you learn that there is a traitor within the Secret Service, which is kind of a shocking thing to see. So mm -hmm. um, I think the first 20 minutes is very interesting because we start with um, kidnapping the Russian radical, but then it's just kind of this presidential speech and it's not very action-y, but then 20 right. minutes in is really when it gets exhilarating and it doesn't stop from there. You're right, right? There, once it hits that big action scene when the Russians do finally start to take over the plane, and it's it's meant to be very shocking, and it is, because, you know, people all of a sudden just start dying left and right while they're oh, yeah. taking over the plane. Um, there is uh, a level in Modern Warfare 3, I think, uh, that reminds me a lot of this portion of the movie, where you're... Part of the, I think you're a part of the Secret Service. I don't remember all the details. I've only played, I've only played the actual single level once. Mm -hmm. But essentially, you're a part of the Secret Service or whatever. You're the good guys, and some bad guys try to take over Air Force One, and you had to make your way through Air Force One to save the president or something along those lines. So I got a lot of Modern Warfare vibes um, seeing this scene when they finally do take over the plane. And it is, uh, it is pretty fun to watch, uh, fun and also at the same time horrific, to see them take over this plane, you know, this American symbol that's in the sky. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of video games and movies draw inspiration in mm. a little bit. I'm going to say how I think Nolan drew some inspiration from certain scenes in this movie. Mm. There is some fantastic action in this movie. And it does translate very well into the video game world. Of course, video games were around in the 90s. They were they wouldn't be able to achieve anything of the modern warfare level you were talking about, but right. now they can. And so it, it would make for a great video game if they were to make this into one nowadays. I think that would be actually an awesome game or maybe a VR game as well it would be very interesting. Um, I will say I think the dialogue is pretty smart in this movie also. It's not just all about the action. There is some bits of humor throughout here that I think are pretty good. Um, Dean Stockwell's character, um, one of the other guys gives out some educated guesses and Dean Stockwell says, those are guesses. I don't know if they're educated, but mm -hmm. there is uh, some really nice interplay and chemistry between these people. And even the people on the ground, I thought that was kind of a risky move is to take us out of the airplane and put us into the war room with the vice president and the joint chiefs and whatnot. But there is enough intrigue in the fact that what if the president isn't able to discharge his duties? What if we could make the vice president, the female, the first woman president, and then mm -hmm. they would be directly negotiating with her, which would change things because there is a lot of tough negotiation going on in this movie, which provides... Right a lot of 
a lot to the intensity. And I think they do a great job keeping it between the airplane and the war room, still keeping my attention at least. Yeah. And there's that, like, there's that dichotomy too, right? Um, where you have you know, decisions being made sitting safely behind a desk you know, covered by security officers with everybody else in the room kind of in the mm -hmm. same place, right? Making decisions versus actually being in the line of fire. Um, I guess that's kind of a pun. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, being actually in the action and making decisions that way, which is what Harrison Ford is doing, right? I, I think that's what I think that's what I was seeing is that dichotomy between, you know, making decisions when it comes to being a leader you know, in different contexts, it means completely different things, right? Your decisions that you're going to make are going to change depending on, you know, if you're safe in a, in a boardroom versus being up and being in the actual plane that's now being taken over by terrorists. I think they're playing with that dichotomy there of, you know, kind of what it means to be a leader um, depending on where you are. Yeah, it definitely does. And it does impact how choices are made. It's really crazy because we get to see the president of the United States pick up a machine gun and shoot mm -hmm. people, which is why I'm saying this is just kind of a fantasy. I just can't ever imagine that ever really happening. It's really crazy. And of course, right. they set him up with a backstory. He was in Vietnam. He was given the Medal of Honor. He was this tough soldier that became president. Um, and there is kind of also a lot of irony throughout this movie, how he opens up with, we won't negotiate with terrorists, which was kind of a big Reagan thing. And no mm -hmm. longer will the U S just sit quietly while, you know, genocide occurs around the world. We're, we're going to just stop all of this terrorism and whatnot, which is kind of interesting to look at in hindsight, because like you said, nine 11, the war on terror, how we would be invading Afghanistan, Iraq, all throughout the Middle East, we would have a presence. And it is interesting to go back and watch this movie in, in hindsight and see how his speech was carried through with other presidents in real life, how they were going to do the same thing as well. But then there's, of course, that irony of, well, his family's life is on the line now, so he does have to give in to the terrorist demands. Of course, terrorists don't win, but they do a lot to mess with our emotions here with um, holding these people hostage and just this really, really intense situation all around. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it does kind of bring up the question too, like, yeah, you can say we will never negotiate with terrorists, but what happens when you, like what happens when you're essentially forced to? And that's kind mm -hmm. of like the decision that Harrison Ford has to make. But as you said, uh, obviously they don't, the, the Russians don't win after that. Um, they only have a small moment of victory before Radic is actually killed in the prison. Um, but that's that scene by itself is also very interesting to me because you know it's our heroes at their lowest moment, right? And they, uh, Harrison Ford, president, uh, has to call and you know negotiate and more or less has to negotiate, releases Radic, and then as he's walking out, you know, the it flips back around and he is killed and then it cuts back to that boardroom with the vice president and whoever else is there and Raddick's theme is still playing in the background but the camera is kind of like spinning around as they're like celebrating in victory it, it's this really weird emotion that they build here I think and I kind of liked it because it is just you know kind of that dichotomy of Raddick was killed and the boardroom is celebrating you know they got their victory right uh, but they also had to negotiate with terrorists which is what they said they would never do um, to get to that victory. Yeah. And the even crazier part is that they're not even the ones holding Radic in prison. It's the Russians right. that are holding him in prison. So instead of going to the Russian president and holding him hostage and forcing him to do it, they go to the leader of the free world. They go to the U.S. president, hold him hostage, force him to tell the U.S. president, or excuse me, the Russian president to let Radic go, which is just kind of crazy to think about because it is showing that the terrorists see the United States primarily as their enemy instead of Russia as their enemy, even though they've essentially they're separatists from Russia and they hate Russia and they want to take it over. They love Russia, but they don't love these 
people that are willing to work with the Americans to make Russia a more freer society. I thought that was kind of interesting as well as they know who really holds the power is the president. And of course, they just want to make this crazy statement that they could do it. They could take it over. Right. I got to say, Alan, there is some very, very intense sequences in this movie. I'm particularly thinking of um, Melanie, kind of the tour guide lady. Her interrogation scene is pretty hard to watch for me. I, she really sells that her life is about to come to an end. Um, they actually originally shot the sequence um, where it shows Gary Oldman just shoot her point blank in the head. Um, but Peterson felt like it just wasn't right to show that on screen. It, it was just too far. So he felt like it was better to leave it up to the imagination and cut it out altogether. I got to say, I know we've seen tons of action movies and a lot of more movies that are a lot more, you know, violent or intense or whatever. But did you still find this movie intense is what I'm wondering. I think there are some scenes where I did. Uh, the opening one, for example, um, I think really kind of drew me in. And I think that one is probably one of the better ones of the movie, in my personal opinion. Um, but I, I can't say that I was necessarily in suspense for most of the movie. Uh, I think my take on it was, because after a certain point, it's pretty much we're focused on Harrison Ford, uh, you know, walking through the plane and trying to know, trying to get his way into and helping out the people who are trapped, right? Um, so... After a certain point, I was like, well, they're not going to kill the president. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I was more or less just, you know, wanting to see, you know, what they were going to do when it came to these action sequences. Um, so I, I guess I can't necessarily say that I was super, uh, I was, it, nothing really felt very suspenseful to me, but they, they were still fun, I would say. They were still fun sequences to watch nonetheless. Yeah, I was wondering, since we have seen so much since then, in the mm -hmm. past, you know, quarter of a century, I, I was wondering, I don't think modern audiences will f necessarily find this movie as intense, but at least we can say Peterson doesn't pull any punches, really. I would say yeah. he does leave what's right up to the imagination. A lot of people get killed in this movie and mm -hmm. it does earn its R rating, I would say, with the violence and it's pretty hard to watch. The wife and the daughter, you know, have a gun to their head and their lives are threatened. And I think Harrison Ford also really sells it as well. Like I said, he does his own stunts. Gary Oldman really is actually slapping him. He is getting real bruises and getting pushed around and getting his head shoved into the carpet. There's a level of realism that they bring to that, which I think really pulls me into this movie more than some other movies would where there's not a whole lot of quick cuts, not a whole lot of shaky cam. We really do kind of linger in these moments of they're stuck on this plane. It's claustrophobic. It's intense. How do these people live? How do they take it back? Um, and it's not all action. Um, I thought the usage of the fax line was really clever how they used the um, fax line to send the message to the White House. And I, I always thought it was funny when he tells the lady, if this works, I'm going to make you postmaster general. Um, oh, yeah. I do yeah. like that there is some smart thoughts to this as well, tricking the terrorists into dropping to 15,000 feet to parachute and so they can refuel. Um, I don't think this is just necessarily a mindless action movie. I think they did try and work, put some work into this plot. Yeah, I can agree with you for the most part. You know, it's definitely not necessarily mindless. I, I don't think I can go that far. Um, the, there's a lot of dialogue that does feel very 90s. Um, like <laughs> oh, for, sure. Actually, that same fax line, that same fax line that you, that you mentioned, uh, what leads into that is, oh, well, they cut the phone lines. Yeah, but the phone lines and the fax lines are on two different levels of <laughs> encryption. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, just to get us to make send a message to you know, the people in the boardroom. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that there, I think you're right. It's not necessarily mindless completely because there is definitely a heart to this movie, right? Um, mm -hmm. There is definitely something that they want to say. Not necessarily that, oh, let's just have it for action's sake just so it can be fun. Um, but it does still retain some of its like 90s feel to it. I think it's very much a 90s film. It really is. And I'm honestly not sure if they could make this movie nowadays. They made White House Down, yeah. which is more of a parody. Uh, if anything, Rowan Embricht did that movie. Um, yeah. 
they did do <laughs> they did do Olympus has fallen, which you brought up, which mm. is very similar in certain ways. But this one is just blatantly pro-American. It's blatantly anti-Russian, pro-capitalist. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Hollywood's really not there right now with this kind of movie. It's really not on board with this kind of stuff. It's very interesting. I mean, it, it really hasn't even been 25 years ago. And you can see how Hollywood's attitudes have changed towards what movies they want to fund, what messages they want to put in movies. Because honestly, you know, by the end of this movie, when they change call signs to Air Force One, they salute the president, Jerry Goldsmith's score is playing, which I want to get your thoughts on his score because I really like the main theme, especially that main theme. I got to say, it does give you very much a patriotic sense of it's, it's a very exciting movie. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. This is very much a like if it, it's hard to not it's hard to not see that this is an American film. Like this is the American film all the way through to its core. It's a purely American film, right? Uh, it's extremely patriotic. And like you mentioned, like at this time too, um, given how, when it came out at the time in history, you know, patriotism was kind of a, a, a good peak, I would say. So yeah, this is by far the most American movie I think that we have ever reviewed, to my knowledge <laughs> at least. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, but I, th I think you're right. You know, when you mentioned Olympus has fallen, and like I mentioned it a little bit ago too, uh, they have a lot of similarities. Um, you can pretty much like take the setting of Air Force One and just change it to be that that's in the White House, and you would have a pretty similar film um, between the two of them. That's more of, uh, I guess, a fault of Olympus has fallen, but that's a different story <laughs> for another time. Um, so. Yeah. One other thing that did take me by surprise is most every rated R movie nowadays is going to feature just seemingly as many usages of the effort as they want. PG-13, mm -hmm. you can now slip two of them in there from what I understand. R-rated movie, I don't believe there's... If you're sneaky, yeah. <laughs> um, R-rated, there's really no limits I counted only one effort in this movie. Surprisingly, there's very little language for this being an R-rated movie. And to me, this is still showing more so the old Hollywood, which we have talked about many years ago. We did our MPAA discussion of right. the Hayes Code and then the Motion Picture Association where using language, certain levels of violence and sexuality weren't permissible in films. And so what they did was I left a lot more up to your imagination. So I think that's interesting. I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything or it was any less real because these terrorists weren't using gobs of language all the time. Um, I, I couldn't help but notice it because pretty much every R-rated movie we review now is filled with just as much language as you could possibly fit into it, it seems like. So did that stick out to you at all? I'm curious. No, I, I'm with you. Uh, you're right. There is not much language in this movie. Uh, I would almost say you could, if you, this was released nowadays, it could almost be PG-13. If they toned down the violence a little bit, it could probably pass as a PG-13. Yeah, I agree. That's really the only thing that's, I would say, causing it to be rated R is the violence. Because you're right. When it comes to language, they have their one F word. Um, and that's, <laughs> I think that's like like the only uh, word that they really use um, that will be considered obscene. So you're right. Uh, there is not much language in this, which I was surprised about I uh, as well. I did not think, I figured that going into this, it would be, you know, uh, a bit more perverse, given mm -hmm. that it's a rated R action movie. You know, I'm just, that's sure. just what I'm used to seeing. This is very much not the case. I do want to know, what do you think of Jerry Goldsmith's score? So Jerry Goldsmith's score, I think is fine. Um, I am not super crazy about it. I did listen to it outside of the pot, outside of the movie. It's really short. It's like, you can listen to the whole thing in like half an hour. Um, I think my biggest problem with it is that it just feels after the first few tracks, it, it feels very samey everything else just kind of feels exactly the same so i think it's fine we definitely don't get a lot of patriotic scores nowadays um i think it's fine i'm not super crazy about it though maybe it's just because of it being done within a month or something 
yeah, I think that's probably it is I think if you know this movie, if you know Air Force One, and then you hear the theme, then it's just very recognizable. I love the mm-hmm. opening theme. I think it does have this very American patriotic sense to it. But at the same time, listening to the score throughout the rest of the movie is fairly paint by numbers. It's really not very creative whatsoever. It does kind of just kind of go along with the emotion in the scene. Um, but I really just think it's the opening, the main theme of the movie is just the standout. But um, the other thing that I did notice is before I knew this movie was nominated for sound editing, I did notice that there really is this kind of tangible sense of what it would be like to be in the plane or to be in the war room. I could notice the phone clicks, the flashing lights, the cigarette smoke, just all of these kind of sounds and lights and images really do enhance, I would say, my viewing experience of what it would be like to be in this plane. They did fantastic with the sound, with the gunshots, with, like I said, the phone clickings, with just everything gives me this sense of what it would be like to be on this plane. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do agree. I think that it was right to, I think it deserved, or at least a nomination for sound. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I haven't seen those other movies that are on that list. Uh, it's not all of them, but you're right. The sound also did stand out to me as well. I'm with you. This does, this is a really good sounding movie when it comes to its sound effects and sound design. Did you, I gotta know when he said, get off my plane and he, and he snaps his neck and he throws him out of the plane. And then we kind of just have that shot of him with a snapped neck flying away. My wife laughed during that during that point, I wasn't expecting her to laugh. Were, yeah. What did you think? Were you really into it or were you kind of chuckling to yourself? I think I may have been closer to your wife's reaction at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, I think it was kind of both, right? It, it's, it's, it's going for that kind of a thing. It's going to be, it's, this movie is, you know, super 90s, right? And it mm-hmm. is already kind of cheesy and it's not really, you know, trying to not be that way either. So I think it's, uh, I think I'm more with your wife's reaction where when it's almost like I was kind of expecting it almost, right? Uh, almost waiting for that kind of thing to happen. Because I, like I said, I knew for a fact that they weren't going to kill the president of the United States in this movie. There's no way. Uh, so I was kind of just waiting for this moment when he would have, you know, that that big one-liner of get off my plane and then kick him off and he would die. I was kind of expecting it. I was more like just waiting for it to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of laughed a little bit. No <laughs> lie. But then again, like, like I said, it's kind of what I feel like this movie's going for. It's not really meant to be anything super serious. It does have mm-hmm. a cheesiness factor to it. Yeah, I really, I mean, I think we kind of needed that. We needed this terrorist who we watched murder countless innocent people die in some kind of, you know, violent fashion by getting his next uh snap just by the wind force and kind of ultimately by his own undoing it's a little bit of poetic justice we really did need something big for that and you're right it is a little i could have done without the shot of him with his neck snap just floating off into the distance that was totally unnecessary but nevertheless I've always enjoyed that moment and I've always enjoyed it when he yells, get off my plane. Something about it. I just always like every time. But there are some things about this movie that I don't like that are just, I think, take it a little bit too far for me. One of the first things is, is when we see the plane land at Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany, they did film an actual 747 zipping like flying not zipping going down that runway really fast they had an actual pilot pilot in there and this is where i think christopher nolan ultimately got his idea for tenant and some of these other um scenes in the sky where it is actually a 747 and it's not an ac-130 but it's something similar flying together i think nolan took some ideas from that and he said how can i you know go over the top make it even bigger with that But when we see the plane, the CGI model plane, like just zipping around the runway and not utterly crashing, that's just too, um, too much for me to ask to believe. 
Yeah, no, I am with you uh, 100%. Uh, I mentioned a little bit ago that this movie does utilize some CGI. I think at times it does look fine. Um, at times it, it almost doesn't even look like it's CGI because they use it pretty smartly at times. And then you have scenes like this, like you just mentioned, where this giant CGI plane is uh, like flying down this runway and causing all <laughs> kinds of a ruckus. Uh, and it's pretty obvious that it is not real. Uh, that's one of those other things where I'm just like, okay, that's just a sign of the times, I guess. Um, so you're right. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's kind of funny because when it does a good job, when it, it does it, when it's good, um, for, you know, blending in seamlessly with the scene, it looks really good, right? The CGI mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. When it's not good, when it kind of detracts from it, you can really tell, um, again, just the sign of the times. This came out in 97. It had been no more than a few years since well, I mentioned Terminator 2, um, which really pioneered that kind of a thing. It only been a few years since that, so it's not like it was anything, you know, like it is today, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just hard because it's like as the years pass, the closer you are to it, that's just the standard. So it's going to look great because it's something fresh, it's new, that's the standard. But as the standard moves up and that stays behind... It's pretty obvious how much it doesn't look real because I don't think I ever thought too much about it until this viewing where I can really notice it now. Um, you know, I, I mean, I want to give a compliment. I think it's filmed very well when it really is that plane flying down the runway just at super high speeds and cars are driving by it. They did use a real plane for that. I was very impressed with that. But, you know, at the very end of the movie when the plane crashes into the ocean, it was funny to listen to the commentary because it wasn't just Peterson. It was also another guy kind of interviewing him. And the guy was like, incredible. He's like, I, I can't even tell that. I thought it was a real plane. It's it's indistinguishable from the real deal. And they, they said that so many times how the CGI was, it just looked completely real. Like they couldn't even tell. They thought it was a real plane crashing into the ocean. It's obviously not. It's just funny yeah. to hear that. It's just funny. Yeah, I you're I've totally forgot about the plane crashing in the ocean. But yeah, similar to when it was tearing apart the runway, uh, mm -hmm. that I think even looks even worse. To be honest with you, um, when it does hit the ocean and stuff, that's that's probably the biggest sign of how old the CGI is. Yeah, and and like we get that close up of the plane um, clipping through the trees. Um, mm -hmm. down on the ground and it's just these CGI trees. It looks really bad. Yep. Um, yep. 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 I should say though, that when we see the plane in the sky, like with the jet fighters and whatnot, that's a combination of three things. The clouds are always real. The clouds are not mm -hmm. creation. They really did shoot those clouds during the daytime. And then they just turn down the lighting for it to be night. The planes, the plane is actually a model. It's actually a physical model. And then some of the jets are CGI, so um, it's a blend of all three, actually, okay. of real things, model, and CGI, which is pretty cool, I would say, for 97. I think that's mm -hmm. they're being very creative with their visual effects. Clearly not good enough to get nominated for an Oscar. I don't even know if they did the visual effects, a visual effects Oscar yet. I know we've had that conversation before, but it's... Uh, it's not terrible. Yeah. I, you know, I wondered if they used a model. Um, I wondered if they went down that route. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I would say probably 90% of the time, um, you're looking at models and then okay. CGI is really only used very sparingly. I gotta say, I'm kind of disappointed. I think Gary Oldman's accent is good at times, but I do feel like sometimes he kind of slips out of it or he can't quite make me believe He's a Russian. I understand that's probably going to be a nitpick for some people, but mm -hmm. I get it. It's hard to do a Russian accent. They did have an accent coach on set helping him through it, but I could tell I thought sometimes he slipped out of it. So I just don't know why they chose Gary Oldman to be a Russian. It seems weird. You know, yeah, and that kind of leads into one of, I guess, it's kind of a negative. Uh, I guess just something that I just noticed. Um Gary Old, so this is a this is kind of a star-studded cast, right? Like we have some pretty oh, big is. actors and actresses in this movie. Uh, obviously, Harrison Ford, um, Gary Oldman too. Glenn Close is another big name. Um, oh, yeah. 
William H. Macy. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? I totally forgot. Uh, you get the anyways. You get the idea, right? This is a star-studded cast, but I don't think I ever, you know, uh, forgot that you know this is Glenn Close playing the vice president, or this is Gary Oldman playing, you know, the Russian bad guy. I like. I always knew that you know they're actors. They never really found them found their role as being necessarily anything transformative. I guess at the same time, you know, that's not really what they're going for. This is a very American movie, to be fair. Uh, And what they're going for is to have just a lot of fun with, you know, some big name actors. So I don't think that they were necessarily going for, you know, a performance to get them an Oscar or anything. But I couldn't help but not see Gary Oldman as Gary Oldman or Glenn Close as Glenn Close in this movie. Well, according to Peterson, he thinks they should have been nominated for Oscars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he says they were that good. But you're right. I think Gary Oldman, I think, has improved vastly in his acting career. Um, mm-hmm. We just saw him play Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. He absolutely deserved oh, yeah. to win yeah. for that. We did cover that um, in our Oscar um our Oscar review where we talked about the post Oscar discussion. He does a great job in that. I just think he, he's not quite totally believable here for me, which is interesting because, um, Jurgen Proshnow, General Raddick, he is, I don't know. He's from Germany or Russia or somewhere, um, close over there. All of the other terrorists are, from what I understand, are actual Russians. And um, when they filmed the prison scene in Ohio with Raddick, those people singing on the intercom and, you know, singing in the jail cells are actual Russians. They just found a lot of Russians in Ohio that are doing that. So it's like everybody's Russian except Gary Oldman here, which is kind of weird. But I get it. He's a great actor. I just not not totally into it. Um, I do think this movie tries to manipulate our emotions a little bit too much it gets a little sappy mm-hmm. for me when um he's tickling his 12 year old daughter and she's like i'm yeah. 12 dad when are you gonna let me go to the refugee camps and i'm like oh okay we, we get it um eh. i think you're right uh <laughs> the family is a big point of contention in this movie right the family is like the thing that Harrison Ford is most concerned about. But I feel like after like the opening scene, they don't really have much to do. Um, the mom and the daughter, it's almost like they're like basically helpless for the entire movie until dad comes and saves them. Um, I found that to be, you know, kind of, I guess, funny, I guess um, maybe a sign of the times. I don't know if that was necessarily a, a trope of the nineties or whatever, but the family for as, big of a thing that they are to Harrison Ford, the movie does not really do much uh, with them, I felt. No, they're just there to create emotional tension. And I know it kind of frustrated my wife at the very end when she gets away from the terrorist and she grabs his gun. She's pointing the machine gun at the terrorist. She never does anything. She doesn't shoot him in the leg. And my wife's like, oh, so she just pointed the gun at him and did nothing with it. And I'm like, well... I get it. The filmmakers don't want to undermine the president's victory over him being the one to kill the mm-hmm. terrorist, but you do set the wife up in a uh, essentially pointless situation where she doesn't yep. achieve anything and the daughter is definitely not going to achieve anything whatsoever, except just be emotional pawns for us to be worried about throughout the movie. Right. Right. And you know, this is probably my, my, my bigger thing. Uh, there's a certain movie that I haven't mentioned yet. I was wondering if one of us would mention if one of us had mentioned it before this. Um, there's a certain movie uh, that stars a much different actor called Die Hard um, that I could not stop thinking about in this movie uh, because when it's all said and done, this is very much um, a movie that's Die Hard but in a plane um, because you have uh, Harrison Ford is really more of Bruce Willis. Then you have uh, Gary Oldman, who is very much uh, Hans Gruber. Um, there's a lot of a lot of similarities between those two movies, and of course, Die Hard came out a number of years before this. I think almost ten years before this. Um, I could not get Die Hard out of my head watching this movie. There's a lot that are that's very similar between the two of them, um, and this one just kind of feels like a more cheesier, more patriotic version 
of Die Hard in a lot of ways. Yeah, you're totally right. Very much that Die Hard feel. I mean, I really think they're trying to just tap into that, even though you're right, it's been almost 10 years later. But like I said at the beginning, this was what people wanted when they went to see these blockbusters at theaters is, I mean, this movie is like really crazy at times when like that fuel tanker blows up in the sky and Mm -hmm. they have a dogfight with um, General Raddick's guys at the very end of the movie. And they're, okay, first of all, they're shooting tons of bullets in a pressurized airplane and they never ever the bullets never go through the hole it never depressurizes the plane it never causes any issues first of all you have to suspend your disbelief right there is that they can shoot guns as much as they want in an airplane which you just no no you you can't do that i mean as to far as fair, i know you can't to be fair the the lady did say that uh, it's all bulletproof so well, yeah. There's that, I guess, oh, that she okay. explained to us, or I, she explained to Gary Oldman and his crew, but really she's just putting <laughs> it to the audience, I guess. Yep, you're right. The plot is completely airtight. It's you're right. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There's a lot you have to just kind of go with uh, that mm-hmm. just, but I mean, the movie ultimately is meant to just have fun, meant to excite you, meant to be patriotic, you know, meant to just be rah-rah. I mean, it came out what 23 days after the 4th of july you know that's mainly the point um yeah i mean and even like the end of the movie when i can't help but kind of laugh watching harrison ford flail around in front of a green screen (laughs) with wire suspending him in the air and then you get to see this dumb shot of the bad guy crashing into the ocean it's a terrible cgi shot and then the um this guy gives the vice president thumbs up in the war room at the very end. It's just like, oh gosh, yep. like just yep. so silly with some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the movie just the movie kind of ends like three or four times. Like when Gary Oldman finally dies, that's not yeah. the actual ending. The actual ending is all they gotta, you know, they have to get the plane down so they can hop out of the plane because it's gonna go down anyways. And then you got Gibbs who comes back, who's honestly kind of useless uh, almost in this movie. Outside of getting the whole thing started, I guess, for reasons. Did we ever find out a reason why he was in with Gary Oldman? Or is it We are never given a reason. Um, in the novelization, you are given reasons as to how he feels kind of betrayed by the government through like Vietnam or something. I don't know. Okay. Well, glad that was explained to us. <laughs> Either way, Gibbs was kind of a useless character anyways, so... It's kind of fun to see him go down in like a really cheesy way, but there is <laughs> yeah, one shot when they're time. trying to get guys down to Air Force One and they hook up the second guy and they just kind of push him off the plane and he's dangling by a, a hook that's hooked into his back right behind his neck and he's kind of just like flopping around <laughs> as he's like descending down into Air Force One. That got a pretty big laugh out of me. Yep, it was that was all CGI. Um they filmed it for real, mm-hmm. I think, and then they c- CGI computer, they they inserted it digitally so it doesn't look very okay. good at all because those are real planes and they just digitally inserted a real shot of a guy. So, it looks bad. You're right. It, it looks really goofy. I was just flailing all over the place for who knows what reason. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, but Alan, it's the 90s. What can we expect? This is also <laughs> true. Yeah. That's a that's a inter- that would be an interesting discussion for another time about how world events shaped movies because definitely after 9/11 you could see how things became much more serious in oh, movies yeah. and oh, they yeah. w- weren't having as much fun as they were here in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, are we ready for our for our conclusion? I think so. Alan, I'm curious because I think you could go either way. I don't know. What is your rating and recommendation for Air Force One? As I mentioned at the very beginning of the discussion portion of this podcast, I think what really brought me into Air Force One is the time that it released. Um, And we already talked about this kind of ad ad nauseum, but it is very much a time capsule movie, I feel. Um, And that's that's to its benefit too, right? Because it gets, it's a rare occasion to be extremely patriotic um, and actually have the audience accept that, especially at a time now where that kind of a thing uh, might be met with more controversy, right? Uh, 
So it's kind of interesting to see that kind of a thing be pre 9-11, but post Cold War, post USSR, you know, all that stuff. So like I mentioned, coming out is a very much an interesting movie just when it came out. It's a time capsule film. I think it is, um, unfortunately, a very interesting movie in the vein of it's very much Die Hard, but in a plane. Um, and like I mentioned, I could not get Die Hard out of my head watching this movie. Um, they, it does have some interesting sequences. It is, I would say, when it's all said and done, I think it's just a fun movie to watch. I, I can agree with you on that one. And it is meant to be that way. It's not meant to be anything really super serious. Um, so I think it's fine. Overall, I think Air Force One is is fine. Um, I but I'm not like super crazy about it necessarily. So I'm gonna give it a five out of ten, but I'm still gonna give it a recommend. I think it still has enough there, especially you know, like I mentioned, being a time capsule, something that we don't really see too often, just in terms of how patriotic it is or etc. Like we've already talked about, I think that there's enough there to definitely warrant a, a recommend. You're on the edge, though. You you got pretty close. Air Force One is a blast of a patriotic movie. Sure, it's total fantasy having the president fight Russian terrorists teetering on the edge of Air Force One, but you don't come here for the political intrigue. Rather, you're here to see the U.S. kick some butt. Harrison Ford gives great anguish and emotion as President James Marshall. Gary Oldman portrays a psychotic terrorist pretty well, despite not always being able to retain his accent. I care for these people, especially the family, because Peterson doesn't pull any punches with the violence here. Quite a few people lose their lives, sometimes in bloody, other times in off-screen ways that chill us to the bone. As far as a thriller goes, I love that it takes place almost all in one location, although I think they could utilize the space of this giant plane a little bit better. But Peterson does a fantastic job of instilling in us the fear of isolation, despite being on this giant sky fortress. While it's not the best thriller and you do have to suspend your disbelief for some things, I think most will have a blast with Air Force One. I know I always do. Air Force One receives 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. Well, Alan, is this going to be a pickup or pass for you? I I don't know. I guess if I find it at a pretty cheap price i might pick it up you know i like i said had the dvd for many many years and i upgraded to the blu-ray so i'm glad it's in my collection i think this is just a really fun movie to watch with other people um especially kind of around more so patriotic type holidays i think it's just probably best watch with those people so i'm glad i have it in my collection but alan what other film or TV shows or video games even. Do you recommend our listeners check out after this one? So I have a number of recommendations of, we've already mentioned actually <laughs> the majority. Yeah. I have four. <laughs> we've already mentioned three of them. Die Hard, obviously. Um, no really need to justify myself there, I don't think. The Fugitive, which is what uh, Harrison Ford had done before this movie, um, a few years before this movie. And that was kind of what I remember being a big breakout uh, movie for 90s not necessarily for not necessarily for Harrison Ford himself but a big surprise Olympus has fallen I don't think I necessarily need to uh, justify myself for this one either it's very much the same premise of uh, uh, they are attacking the Americans uh, the, yeah they're, they're attacking Americans head-on you know with their patriotic system um, but this time it's in the White House instead of in a plane the last one is non-stop which is not necessarily political at all. It stars Liam Neeson. It also takes place entirely in a plane um, with terrorists and whatnot. But that one's a more modern take on it. So those are my four. You know, Alan, I really would be curious for you to watch In the Line of Fire because it did come out four years prior. It has a 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Yeah, I am curious. Uh, I've always known of Wolfgang Peterson. But I haven't seen a whole lot of mm-hmm. stuff. So after watching this, I am curious about that movie in Line of Fire. Yeah, I was kind of surprised because I came to realize I own like half of his movies or like almost all of his his movies. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Uh, he did Troy. He did The Perfect Storm. He did a lot of he did a lot of stuff you wouldn't have suspected that he did. But in the, I'm going to definitely recommend in the Line of Fire. Um 
It's much more character driven than this one is. It does have um, thrills, but it also is much more psychological. I'm going to also be recommending Olympus Has Fallen. I'm even going to be recommending White House Down if you just are curious to see other movies like this. Um, also, I'm going to be recommending The Fugitive. I'm going to be recommending Flight Plan with Jodie Foster, a very great psychological thriller that takes place exclusively on an airplane except for the very beginning um also Wes Craven's Red Eye with Cillian Murphy whom we just reviewed in A Quiet Place Part 2 Rachel McAdams is in it Red Eye is definitely an underrated thriller fantastic um another one I don't think a lot of people saw was Amazon original movie that came out last year which I have reviewed 7500 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where terrorists take over the airplane and Almost the whole thing takes place in the cockpit, actually, and it's all kind of up to Joseph Gordon-Levitt what he's going to do, where it's Muslims that take over and they want to fly the plane into some building. It's crazy. And my final recommendation is also nonstop, another <laughs> fun thriller um, Liam Neeson movie. Yeah. Well, the film was put out on Laserdisc, and I guess apparently among Laserdisc collectors, it is notorious for having laser rot. Uh, which is very similar to disc rot from what I understand. So Interesting. I guess if you if you own this on Laserdisc, it might be very hard for you to ever watch it again on that format. I guess it's very notorious with that. Right. Um, but it was released on VHS, Laserdisc, and DVD on February 10th, 1998, the day before my birthday, and on Blu-ray June 2nd, 2009. It was actually nominated to be in AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills, um, in 2001, it did not make it into the American Film Institute. Wolfgang Peterson has not returned to the political genre since this film. His next film came out three years later, taking place not on the air, but on the sea with an all-star cast once again. It was another free Flickster movie for me that I got. You'll understand in uh, next week's episode, listeners, it was the perfect storm. Um, Harrison Ford's next film came out the year after, Six Days, Seven Nights. I don't know anything about that. Um, Gary Oldman's next films would come out the following year, Lost in Space and Quest for Camelot. He voiced an animated character, and I think that one's kind of a forgotten animated film more people should check out. Both Ford and Oldman's next films were poorly received, especially compared to this one. So the question after the show, listeners, is would you want Harrison Ford to be president of the United States? Um, if he's anything like this guy, then yes, I would want President Marshall to be president because he is definitely pretty awesome. I'd be curious to see what it would be like to have an actor <laughs> as a president because we've had actors play or not play. We've had actors be governors like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, is a probably the most popular example. It'd be interesting to have well, an actor Ronald, as a president. Ronald Reagan. That's true. No, you're right. I totally forgot about that. You're right. Ronald Reagan is was an actor and who became president. That is true. It, I guess it's just definitely not as often, maybe, as becoming governor, which is like, not as hard, I suppose, than becoming mm -hmm. president of yeah. the United States. <laughs> You're right. I totally forgot is, about Ronald Reagan. I learned that from Back to the Future. I totally forgot about it. Well, listeners, we want to know what you think. Do you want to see Harrison Ford as president or maybe more so do you want to see J President Marshall as president. I would be curious to know that as well. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Well, listeners, once again, we hope you had a fun Independence Day weekend with your family. Maybe you watched Independence Day. I know that one's just kind of a fun one to watch around this time. It's It doesn't quite hold up, but it is definitely a fun one to check out. So I know I had fun watching this movie and hopefully I had fun with my family. I don't know. We're, <laughs> we're recording this far in advance so who knows who knows how good my fourth of july <laughs> went but, yeah but my wife's got to go to work she's a nurse so i'll just be Ooh. by myself probably for most of the day anyways we will be coming back next week with space jam another 90s movie we are not out of the 90s yet and then we will be jumping into the 2000s with looney tunes back in action and then concluding our Looney Tunes trilogy, you could say, with Space Jam, A New Legacy, the brand new 2021 film coming out here in just a week or two at this point. I'm curious to see that movie and how it holds up with the 90s version. 
Oh gosh, it's been so long since I've seen Space Jam. I'm curious to see how my thoughts have changed, especially with the SSG goggles on. Yeah, I think, and I'm not even being, I'm not even exaggerating here. I think it's probably been about 15 years since I've seen Space Jam. I know it's become a pretty big meme as of the last few years, but I haven't watched it for a long time. I've got you beat, Alan. I remember the last time I watched it was exactly 20 years ago. <laughs> so... <laughs> I didn't remember a dang thing about it. We're going to yep. talk about it. You're not going to want to miss that episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, make sure to click subscribe no matter where you're at. Share this episode with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. And we'll see you next week with Space Jam listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Yeah, it is on Prime as of right now. Um, I think, hang on, let me check and make sure it's not leaving soon because it might actually be. <laughs> let me go check real quick. That is why you pick up the Blu-ray, everybody, so you don't <laughs> have to worry about it. <laughs> um, One sec. Consulting. Okay. How long, what day is 12 days from now? I don't know, probably the end of the month. Well, when does this, this comes out July 5th, by the way. Oh, this episode's yeah. coming out July 5th. This will be gone by then. Okay. Oh, okay.